Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Glad to have you here with me today at The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the fellow behind this operation. You know, I never in a million years thought that I would one day be doing this sort of work, but it just sort of evolved. You know, it kind of chose me. You see, I had borderline personality disorder for at least 35 years, completely unaware. When my life collapsed from the unsustainable effects of the disorder, I was forced into a position, completely against my will, really, where I first had to identify the disorder and then become an authority on it. You know, it was just a situation where I was in so much pain that I was determined to do whatever it took to never again suffer the same emotional torture from the same causes ever again. So it wasn't as if emotional health was something that I was ever really interested in or curious about. My circumstances simply obligated me into it. It's imperative to understand the difference between the pretend recovery that almost every other source of information is referring to and the true recovery that I'm referring to when I talk about it. I also want you to know that completely ridding yourself of things like borderline personality disorder is possible. I did it. And so can you. But it's important to have your sights set on the right objective from the very start. Then you're setting yourself up for success from the very beginning. You know, you fix the underlying problem and then there won't be any symptoms to manage, right? It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But you'd be surprised at how few people break away from dependency on the professional communities Broken approaches enough to make authentic recovery possible for themselves. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today is sort of a special show because I've been wanting to tell you about Janelle for a while. She was the mistress I was having an affair with when my life collapsed from unrecognized borderline personality disorder. Now, before we get into that conversation about Janelle... Let me tell you about TheLastSymptom.com. It is my website for growing free resources. And I'm a one-man operation. So when things don't get updated there, just forgive me. Doing the best I can. I'm trying to keep up with demand the best I can. If you're benefiting from my work and you'd like to show your appreciation, 
leave me a donation over there at thelastsymptom.com. If you're able, it is appreciated, and it will be used for good things. For a while now, I've been wanting to tell you about my mistress. The mistress I had during the couple of years leading up to my major borderline personality disorder crisis. Her name was Janelle. And it's a name that I'm still very endeared to. Even when I see it with uh, different spellings and stuff, it, it catches my attention. I've mentioned Janelle in passing before, but I've never really gone into any detail about her. And there's been a reason for that. More often than not, when I talk about this crisis that forever altered the trajectory of my life, I rightfully focus primarily on my ex-wife, Diana, and the pain and the chaos that we both endured during that time as a couple. And I do this out of great respect and love for her and for all that she did for me, you know, as far as demonstrating genuine love for me, even though this genuine demonstration of love required hard and painful decisions for herself and ultimately our divorce. Now, I know that many of you are not able to see how divorce can be a genuine demonstration of love toward the person getting divorced against their, against their choice. But one of these days, if you are successful in escaping emotional unhealth and you finally begin experiencing good emotional health in an authentic way, you will understand. And you'll especially understand if your escape from emotional unhealth happens in part thanks to the self-sacrificing wisdom and resoluteness of somebody holding you to concrete boundaries and consequences. You know, truthfully, for years, you're going to be bitterly resentful of what they've done. I was. I was bitterly resentful of my ex-wife for many years. I, I yo-yoed back and forth from bitterly resentful to, to trying to be understanding about everything I'd put her through. But the more you progress and as you come out of that bitterness, you'll begin to be overwhelmed with the love that was shown to you. The more you understand the true nature of what it is that they've truly done for you. So let's take a moment to talk about love, as uh, I'll be using the word throughout today's show. When I speak in the past, I often talk about how much I loved these two women, my, my wife and my mistress. And this naturally creates some confusion because I've repeatedly explained how people with borderline personality disorder are unable to experience things like authentic love. So I want you to know that I'm not contradicting myself. It's true that people with emotional disorders are not able to experience authentic love. Love is a healthy quality. And as a healthy quality, it originates for healthy reasons. And it always behaves in healthy ways. Note this, it never originates from unhealthy reasons, nor does it ever behave in unhealthy ways. So if you're a first-timer and 
you just hit the roof in an uproar over what I just suggested, and you're going into red alert denial mode. I don't have time to address all of your objections right now today, but I have addressed it thoroughly in the past in special episodes, particularly the uh, special episode of this podcast titled Love. So I suggest you go check that out. When I talk in the past tense about how much I loved my wife and my friends and my mistress, obviously I'm not referring to authentic love. Instead, I'm talking from a place of unhealthy perspectives that I had at that time. I, just like almost everybody I talked to today, mistakenly thought that the strong feelings that I was feeling, that those strong feelings in themselves were what determined love. Strong feelings can come about for unhealthy, dishonest, and selfish reasons, can't they? Unbelievable amounts of denial and unhealthy compulsions can fuel those very strong feelings. So strong feelings by themselves are not what determine true love. Just like honesty is a quality and must meet concrete qualifications in order to be accurately applied to something, love is also a quality. So it's not only determined by feelings. It's true when we're experiencing genuine love, we do feel profound feelings. But the quality of love, it has to fit certain characteristics all the time. Otherwise, it's not love. Our feelings are not what determine honesty, and our feelings are also not what determine love. But the point here is that when I talk about loving these women in the past, I'm not implying that I was experiencing authentic love for them. Then, I'm going back to that period of time in my life, and I'm speaking to you from that, from that perspective. So I'm not saying that the love that I felt for them was authentic. I'm talking to you from my perspectives at that time. When I speak about loving them today, if I say today that I I love those people, I am referring to literal love because I've changed and my perspectives are different and I've had much time to reflect on these people, their qualities and all that they did for me and so on. So hopefully that clears up any confusion just waiting to happen. Back to Janelle. This is timely because I kid you not, I happened across her online just yesterday, completely unintentionally. Literally yesterday, I was just doing my business online and she come up. Well, you know how it is in today's modern world. You know, it's almost impossible to lose people. Technology has a way of figuring out people you knew or know and of throwing them right in in your face. I still get notices every couple weeks urging me to connect with my ex-brother-in-law on LinkedIn, believe it or not. And uh, that's probably the, the worst idea of all time. So no thanks. There was Janelle. She popped up on my screen looking as beautiful as ever with her six foot five. I'm guessing, masculine husband with the perfect hair. There was her 
two perfect children that looked like they were created in a laboratory specifically for the purpose of modeling gap clothes. A boy and a girl. The girl's older. And I thought about that for a while. Do you know how many couples hope for and and wish for one girl and one boy and they try and try and try and that never happens? And in these pictures, the four of them are dressed in designer clothes and standing in front of a sunset, in front of some mountains, and staring into each other's eyes lovingly, and they're laughing. They're so happy. Let's just say that her life looks like it's going really, really well. And I'll be honest with you. My heart felt a tremendously sharp pain. Let's go back in time a bit and let me tell you how Janelle and I first met. I had been on medical staff as a Spanish interpreter for a particular hospital for many years. And one day, I looked at my schedule and I saw that I had an appointment up on the traumatic brain injury floor which sort of made me grimace because that floor was always the hardest for me, linguistically speaking. You know, for an interpreter, being up on the traumatic brain injury floor is hard in the same way that it's it's hard to interpret for folks who have mental illnesses. You might not know this, but no matter how cool you are as an interpreter, we rely heavily on context. So there's no interpreter in anywhere who knows every single word that the patient is going to say. What we do is we use context. So even if it's a word we don't know, by using context of the words around that word, we can figure out uh, with almost 99.9% certainty the meaning of that word. So, when you're talking to somebody who is in traumatic brain injury or somebody who is uh, literally mentally ill, context goes right out the window. You know, people with traumatic brain injuries as well as people who are mentally ill often string together a group of words that make no sense whatsoever. The potato got the ace last night. I licked the sunbeam. And, you know, the interpreter's hearing this, and the interpreter still has to be able to faithfully interpret this without leaving out any detail. Because this is what the medical professionals depend on in order to do their jobs most effectively. So darn, if I didn't have an appointment that afternoon up there on the third floor, on the traumatic brain injury floor, And when I walked into the room where the appointment was supposed to take place, and I told the girls up there, the patient I was supposed to be working with, they told me, oh yeah, you'll be working with Janelle. And they pointed her out to me because I said, Janelle, I I don't know any Janelles up here. And they said, she's right over there. You see her? I saw her very well. (laughs) Let me tell you, my heart did loop-de-loops in my chest when I saw her. She was younger than me, and she was petite. 
She only come up to about my shoulders. She had beautiful, short, chestnut hair that came down to about her jawline. Instead of detracting from her feminism, everything about her enhanced it. She had high cheekbones. She still has high cheekbones. And a quirky, unique smile that when she grinned or laughed, the outside corners of her eyes pinched down in a really endearing way. And then I introduced myself, and she spoke to me, and her voice was exactly perfect. It was like having honey poured over my head. Suddenly, I was no longer disappointed about having to work up on the third floor. Janelle and I worked very closely together with this traumatic brain injury patient that I was there for that day, who was an inpatient. And we usually worked together twice a day, every day for about three months. So as you can imagine, we got to know each other pretty well. One memory I have from that very first day that we met is that at one point, Janelle had to go over to some cabinets to get some things to bring back to the table where we were working. As she walked over to the cabinet and back, she bounced. That's what I remember. She she bounced. She had this flirty bounce to her like she was so full of life, so much positive energy to her. The feelings did not lessen the more time I spent with her. I was married, and I really liked my wife. I really liked the life we had. You know, I, I really liked my in-laws. I liked everything that we had built together. I, I, I even liked my brother-in-law. And uh, But this, this was just a very difficult situation because I had powerful feelings for her. And uh, apparently she felt the, the same way, working together every day for so much time. And it just kept getting more and more difficult. Now, the story gets a bit convoluted here because I had a buddy who was also an occupational therapist and he worked down on another floor and about a month and a half of working with Janelle every single day Janelle's feelings and my feelings had been you know exploding greater heights every day this Russian Israeli guy come up to me and uh Let's call him Fred because I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable giving away his real name. You know, somebody could hear this in the future and uh, they could put two and two together. And I don't want that to happen. But I want to give enough details to paint the, the accurate uh, picture of what actually happened. So we'll just call him Fred. And Fred comes up to me and he says, hey, uh, can I ask you to do me a favor? And I said, sure, anything you ask. He says, well, do you ever work with a cute girl upstairs on the third floor? Of course, the first person I thought about was Janelle. And he said, the next time you see Janelle, can you ask her if she's wearing a pendant on her neck? Oh, boy, what was this now? I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that he and Janelle had any history at all. So when I saw Janelle, I asked her about Fred and uh, she told me that she had broken up with him shortly after she had started working with me. 
because she said that things had never been right with Fred. And she felt positive that things were happening between her and me. Well, that night, Janelle and I, we finished up work at the hospital at about the same time. I I don't even remember the details of how this happened. We ended up in my pickup truck. And one thing led to another. And before I knew it, she was on my lap. Some of you know how this goes. At first, my brain said, just a kiss, just a kiss. I just want to know what that's like. And then I'll stop. And then I got the kiss. And uh, not even a nuclear explosion could have separated me from that kiss And then I thought, I just want to touch her body. And then I'll stop this and I'll apologize for it. But once I got that touch, my fever was screaming through the roof. And Janelle was taking her pants off, all without breaking the kiss, or leaving my hands empty, which seems impossible in the cab of a pickup truck. But it's amazing what can be accomplished in the throes of passion. Then she had her pants off, and I thought, Dear God, (laughs) I just want to feel her against me, that's all. Then Janelle did a little hip wiggle, and like magic, I was, I mean, there was just no fumbling at all. That was pretty impressive. Well, what can I say? It was good. It was really good. I mean, all of it was just so good. When it was over, I went into panic and shame mode. And frankly, this early into things, I was thinking about my wife, and my brain went into all these really worst-case scenarios. I thought, what if she gets pregnant? I really hadn't thought this through. Also, it occurred to me that I now had to face Fred. i got to try to remember to tell you the ending of the Fred story. Fred viewed me as a trusted friend. And at this point, he was asking me these questions about Janelle. He had no idea that that I, the guy he liked and trusted, the very guy he's coming to ask questions about this girl, has had an ongoing relationship with this girl for quite a while. What a mess. Well, Janelle and I went on like this for a little while. And uh, all this while... I was incredibly torn between my feelings for Janelle and my feelings toward my wife and her family and our friends and our and my sense of morals and fidelity and and my um, being very conscious of the fact that God was observing me and how he must feel about all this. Now, obviously, I realize that not all of the people who listen to me subscribe to the notion that there's a God, but I do. So this was a real consideration for me. And I was thinking, I'm being observed through this. How am I going to pass this test? Well, obviously I didn't. Let me tell you, during this period of time, the moral considerations were really tearing me apart. At the beginning of this experience, moral considerations were, were just overwhelming me. After this experience... Moral considerations were the last thing on my mind at all. I couldn't have cared less. 
I mean, I got to a place where emotionally I just didn't care. Janelle and I couldn't, we couldn't stay away from each other after this happened. And in fact, uh, in the hospital, we would purposely take the stairs when walking through the hospital just so that we could have a, I mean, just a few seconds of privacy. I had her pressed against the wall and I had one ear listening for any door that might open. As cool as we thought we were about all this to the outside world, we probably were not fooling too many people who saw us together. But my conscience was killing me. So after a short time of this, I made a really difficult decision, and I broke things off with Janelle. Right at about the same time, her internship ended. And uh, what was going through my mind at the time was I secretly decided that I would allow a brief amount of time to pass. When I say brief amount of time, I'm thinking maybe three to six months, enough to put some distance between this experience with Janelle, and then I would tell my wife about the affair. I know what y'all are thinking. Oh, you weren't going to do it. Well, I disagree with that conclusion. I, I was going to do it. But it, it, it got to December, and I hadn't seen Janelle for, oh, maybe three or four months. And I was in agony. And I don't remember if anything specifically happened in my life at that time, but in a moment of weakness, I reached out to Janelle with an email. And uh, she agreed to meet with me. From the moment I saw her again, I knew that I did not want to lose her. I didn't know how things were going to get worked out, given my circumstances. And all I knew is that I, I didn't want her to ever go away again. And that began an affair that lasted at least a year and a half. It might have it gone on for two years. I think the whole period of time that she and I knew each other and that we were involved was about two years. So I'm guessing that at this point, it was about a year and a half. That night, I took her for a drive outside Philadelphia, and we went out into a dark field. She wanted me to show her Polaris, the North Star. So I took her out there on a quiet road, which is not easy anywhere on the East Coast once you get anywhere near Philadelphia. But I found a quiet road. kind of outside of the city. And I pointed Polaris out to her in the dark and said sweet things to each other. In memory of that moment, Janelle later had a star officially named in my honor. I still have the the paperwork and the, the documentation of that. And yes, it's a little goofy looking back, but I have so many things from Janelle. Nearly two years of emails while I was preparing this episode of the show, I pulled some of those old emails up to see if there was anything I could share that would paint a picture of our relationship. And you know that it's not easy for me. I purposely don't look at those pictures and I purposely don't read those old emails, but I save them because they represent a real part of my life experience that uh, I might one day want to go through. Even today, it's very painful for me. Here's a snippet that I sort of pulled out at random. From May 23, 2010, Janelle wrote, I loved our time at the cabin. I frequently replay in my mind the dinner table, the walk to the lake, and the ridiculous amount of lovemaking that went on. It's all so good, and it warms my soul to know that I've gotten to share these things with you. 
and that there will be so many more of these moments in the future. I'm so thankful for all of our time together, and I'm ecstatic to know that you replay these things over and over in your mind as frequently as I do. I love our time together, and I'm sorry that I can't keep my hands off of you. Not really. I love you, and I will love you until the end of time. Our first real time away together was to backpack the Loyal Sock Loop in a very remote area of the mountains of Pennsylvania. In fact, it's so remote that the name of the local park nearby is called World's End. That trip broke my heart because we had never spent any real time together, and I thought, well, this is it. We'll go out, and we'll do this trip for six or seven days, and uh, she'll get tired of me, and this whole thing will unravel. And then I at least won't have to try to figure out what to do about this predicament. But instead, we never got tired of each other. Every single moment was beautiful. In fact, not in all the time that I was with Janelle did we ever get into a real argument. Our voices never raised. We never yelled at each other. We were always in a good mood together, for the most part, and walking on clouds. One particularly special memory I have with Janelle is, that I want to share with you is that on one backpacking trip together, I got lost. We ended up completely turned around and not being able to figure out where we were going on the map. To keep Janelle calm, I told her not to worry, that we would just keep going. We had plenty of days set aside for this, and all we had to do was find a road, and we'd be fine. So we hiked completely without any direction for about two days. I had us going on a set course, and what I mean by that is that we didn't know where this course was going to end up, but I did have us on a set course. I had picked something like, okay, let's go east, and we were going east. And one night, at the end of a long day, we stopped on the wedge of a mountaintop, and I set up camp for us. It was very remote, and that night we had an amazing fire. You know, there was plenty of firewood around us. And I got the fire going so well, it lit up the entire mountaintop where we were. I could see everything for like 50 yards around us in all directions. The light bouncing off tree trunks and the under foliage of the trees, even though we were in October. What made this so special is, first of all, the company I was with. But secondly, the conversations we had that night, which were just amazing. And the stars were out in full force above our heads. And there was a deep chill in the air. But we were comfortable around the fire and we were comfortable in the tent together. It was just an exceptional experience. Because we were on a wedge, we we got to watch the sun set from this side. And then in the morning when we woke up, we, we turned and we saw the sunrise come up from the opposite side of this mountain wedge. And my, my dog Bradbury, who was lying right over there, was a puppy at the time. And uh, I had him tied to my belt loop when I went to sleep that night. Well, years passed, and just a couple of years ago, my buddy Brian Lambert and I were backpacking in that same general area. And you'll never believe it, but we come up on that mountaintop, on that very mountaintop, And as soon as I saw it, the memory of being there with Janelle come rushing right back at me. I couldn't bring myself to leave that spot. Even though we were far from where we were planning on camping that night, I convinced Lambert 
to spend the night on that same mountaintop again, a spot where I had a tremendously important experience, to me anyway, and that happened while I was completely lost, a place I never thought I'd ever see again, and years later, I stumbled right up on it. You have no idea how pleased I was and how pleased I continue to be over that. As far as sex goes, we couldn't keep our hands off each other. When we uh, first started seeing each other, I insisted on using some type of birth control. So we went out and we bought a jumbo box of condoms. Well, we blew through a bunch of those in no time. And then Janelle basically talked me out of continuing to use them. And she didn't have to try to very hard to talk me out of using them. But I was still worried about pregnancy, partly because of the situation of being married and worrying about that forcing me into making hard decisions before I was ready, but also because I had no desire to be a father at that point in my life. In fact, never in my life did I ever want to be a father because my experience of being fathered was not a very good experience. And I just did not want to be put in a position where I might also be that type of father to somebody else. But Janelle told me that she would have a really unusually difficult time getting pregnant, that I had nothing to worry about, so I stopped using condoms. And we continued having sex like hungry, crazy bunnies. And sure enough, it was never an issue. That is, it was never an issue until a year and a half passed. I was again going through a period where I was reevaluating my my life. I was struggling with profound feelings of shame and guilt and betrayal and disloyalty. My wife and I were not getting along well. In fact, by this time, I, my wife was just walking through life like a ghost, just emotionally shut off on the inside. She was deeply unhappy with me and marriage because marriage had not turned out to be the way she had always imagined it. I also was deeply unhappy, not because of anything my wife was doing or not doing, but because the situation I myself had created, which had torn me between this woman I had intense feelings for and my wife, who I felt a deep sense of responsibility to. Again, I made the unimaginably difficult decision to break off the relationship with Janelle, and she might have suspected I was trying to work myself up to it just because you know, in the past, I had gotten melancholy and withdrawn in the lead up to these sorts of conversations. Even so, it was incredibly difficult and there were a lot of tears on both of our parts and pleading and me looking for any other alternative to this decision, but not seeing one. The way I saw it, it didn't matter how I felt. I had already made commitments to my wife and I felt like I needed to do my very best to honor those commitments, that in order to put all this right, it had to be done this way. In order for me to ever repair my conscience, I had to choose my wife. Then at some point, I had to tell her the truth, and I had to let her make the decisions about what she wanted. I, I just couldn't bring myself to choose Janelle over my wife after having already betrayed my wife, and, uh, and I just couldn't leave her with nothing after all that she had put up with from me. Also, when I peered ahead and I imagined a future with Janelle, I feared the same situation developing with her. You know, I looked ahead and I saw the possibility that we'd be in love for a few years, but then real life would set in 
in this very cycle, this very same cycle that I was already experiencing with my wife would start all over again. Only this time, maybe instead of just me having an affair, maybe both of us would be having our own affairs. None of my options that involved leaving my wife seemed very wise to me. Now, having said this, I did not give up my hopes to be with Janelle entirely. But if it were going to happen, I just felt like it had to be because Diana, my wife, made the decision for herself for our relationship to end permanently. It couldn't be because I made that decision. So I secretly considered the real possibility that after some time had passed and I told my wife, Diana, about this affair, that she'd want a divorce. And given a bit of time after the divorce, Janelle and I might end up together and get married. Notice my thinking at the time. I I always feared telling people things right now. It always seemed safer to wait months before telling them, as if this would create some kind of cushion and uh, lessen the fallout. Well, I did it. While things were going so well with Janelle, and we were closer to each other than ever before, I broke off the relationship. And it was excruciating, brother. It was excruciating for both of us. I mean, I felt like a gutted fish. At the same time, I felt very optimistic about my marriage. I went straight into trying to be the husband I felt my wife deserved. And I really tried to turn things around. We had one final, truly great week together, my wife and I. And that was when I got the call from Janelle. She was pregnant. Of course she was. She was pregnant, and I was the father. I know what y'all are thinking. You're thinking that this is just too coincidental and that Janelle had to have been lying. I admit, I suspected that myself, and uh, even Diana, my wife, suspected that. But Janelle wasn't lying. She really was pregnant, and the baby really was mine. And all of this really was happening at the absolute worst timing. Well, what could I do? Suddenly, I couldn't wait months to tell my wife about the affair, could I? So I sat on the information for a few days, and then one night I sat on the edge of our bed, the the bed I shared with my wife, and I told her about Janelle. And I also told her about how Janelle was pregnant with my child. Diana, my wife, looked drained. She didn't scream. She didn't flip out. She just looked deflated. I'll never forget that reaction for the rest of my life. The only thing she said after a moment of, di- of uh, digesting this information was, why would you do this? She had her hands on her hips, and she turned from me as if uh, she couldn't even bear to look at me. Do you know what I felt? I I felt nothing. I felt nothing at all. I was totally disconnected. I knew that pretty much everything was out of my hands now. And I was sort of a man who was completely numbed inside, just observing what was playing out. I honestly don't know how else to, to describe it. I was like a disembodied spirit just observing what was going to happen next. Well, my wife, Diana, asked me to move out, 
and within days I was in my own apartment in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. That first night, I had terrible dreams, nightmares really, and I began tumbling into severe depression from that very first night on. I was scared about the future. I didn't know what was around the corner or what my life was going to look like. My marriage was hanging together by, by a thread. My wife hadn't said anything about divorce. She had only determined at that point that she wanted us to be separated for a while. You know, looking back at this, it was the perfect time for me to keep my nose clean and do everything right. And if I had, it might have taken a while, but I'm pretty certain my wife would have taken me back if I had demonstrated real remorse. But remember, at this point I had no idea I'd been living with borderline personality disorder. So what I did instead in order to distract myself from these uncomfortable feelings and uncertainties that I was now being um, inundated with was that I began uh, having woman after woman after woman over to my apartment. And I, I just did everything I could think of to drink and screw these troubles away. I foolishly thought I could keep it secret. I thought I could numb myself out to all my problems with these sorts of distractions, you know, alcohol and, and girls, and that it wouldn't somehow get back to my wife or to Janelle. Of course, during this time, I was also regularly checking up on Janelle and, uh, you know, seeing how the pregnancy was going. You know, it was very hard for me, but I tried to make her feel like whatever happened, I'd try to be a good father. But at the same time, I was caught in limbo because my wife had not yet ended our marriage or even made a firm decision about whether she was going to end our marriage or not. And you remember the moral predicament I had set up for myself. I could only be with Janelle if my wife chose to end the marriage. I couldn't choose to do it for myself. Also, whatever my wife asked of me to do during that time, I did it. This was with the exception of not screwing other women. I was doing tons of that. But I didn't want her to know I was doing tons of that. Do you know that my wife continued coming over and gathering my laundry and doing my laundry for me up until the very day that our divorce was finalized? That's true. Up until the very day that our divorce was legally finalized. She did that for me. There are so many good things about both of these women, both uh, Diane and uh, Janelle, that are just unbelievable and good. And uh, I'll never have time to even scratch the surface. You know, even today's conversation about Janelle has been about pretty uh, superficial, skimpy things. But being that this is the first time that I've ever even really told you about her in detail, I just have to start somewhere. So I just want you to know that there are so many amazing qualities that she has. And she's such a beautiful soul uh, that I can't possibly cover all the most important things in a single episode of this show. At one point, Janelle was over at my apartment and she got onto my phone and she saw messages from 30 different women or something like that. And that was a huge ordeal. I do not make excuses for it. I was totally out of control. 
and uh, I was so stressed out during that period of time, I couldn't think straight, and my life, just about every aspect of it, was just spiraling completely out of control. I was a complete and utter train wreck. There are things that I did during that time with people, that with women, that um, were women that never in a million years would I would I do those things with today. But during that period of time of my life, I was just looking for any distraction, man, just any distraction. Didn't really care. I, I just did not care. So Janelle eventually ended up miscarrying the baby, her and my baby. And this was terribly depressing to me. And uh, it sent me into an even more destructive tailspin, if that's even possible. Believe it or not, I saw the baby as a positive thing. I did. And I had resolved to be a great father no matter what. Uh, My wife decided to divorce me soon after Janelle miscarried the baby. And looking back, I realized that my ex-wife didn't know what decision to make for us as a couple until the issue of the baby was certain. So once Janelle miscarried, that was sort of my wife's moment where she she felt like she could resolve in her heart the right course of action to take. The damage that I'd caused and the way that I had now betrayed both of these girls was too much for either of them to get over. It, it was just too much. Uh, Janelle at one point moved to Florida for a while. I would only reach out to her when I had nothing or nobody with which to distract myself and only when I needed that comfort. I think she she sensed that. Janelle realized pretty quickly that uh, she was doing me no favors and that her help, you know, in air quotes, was actually preventing me from doing the sorts of things I needed to do. So at some point after about a year, Janelle made it clear that she would not accept calls or messages from me anymore. And uh, my wife had reached that point herself also independently and for different but similar reasons. Both of them realized, I think, right around the same time that uh, they had to focus on and fix themselves and that I had to be left to figure out some things for, for my own self. Never, never have I felt for anybody what I felt for Janelle. You know, it was euphoric and it was special. No, it wasn't love. I felt very strong feelings for her. Love came later much later, and with all this time behind me now, because now I'm able to look back, I'm able to see her and and remember her without the unhealthy, selfish perspectives collaring every perspective that I have. Shortly before she said goodbye forever, Janelle bought me a kitten, (laughs) a little kitten, And uh, she thought the kitten might provide me with some company and stability while I was going through this major breakdown in my life. Well, at the time, I denied the offer of of this cat. Uh, I insisted she keep the cat for us. But I did offer to name the cat. And the name I chose was a compliment to my dog's name. dog I still have today. His name's Bradbury. And, of course, he's named after my favorite author, Ray Bradbury. So my favorite book by Ray Bradbury is a book called Dandelion Wine. But instead of naming Janelle's cat Dandelion Wine, I prophetically 
named her cat after the title to the sequel to Dandelion Wine. The sequel to Dandelion Wine is called Farewell Summer. Farewell is what I named the cat. And Janelle took that name and the cat with her. I often wonder if that cat, Farewell, is still with her. I, I have no way of knowing. It would bring me comfort if Farewell is still with her. Like, you know, a part of me is still there with her as well. I did notice in these pictures that I saw here yesterday that she still has her dog, who was in a couple of the pictures, and um, must be at least 12 years old by now. I had many close experiences and fond memories with that dog at her house. Here's another email from Janelle in the, the middle of the year 2011. Janelle said, I will wait for you as long as I don't hear otherwise from you that you've found someone else or decided that we would never work or that Diana has changed her mind. If I hear none of these things, I will wait and I will work on us with everything I have in me as long as you meet me halfway. Remember that I love you more than... Remember that I love you more than anything, and I want to forever with you. I don't want to share you with anyone anymore. And it would be a lot of work to regain my trust. I know you can do it. I know I want it. I just don't know if you really want it. Please take care of yourself and transform into the healthiest Brian ever. I love you to Polaris and back. I will love you forever and ever. Janelle. This is pretty much the last real exchange that she and I ever had back in 2011. And my lordy, it doesn't seem possible to me that this was nine years ago, but it was. For most of those years, I was just in so much pain that uh, time moved at a slug's pace. And then once I came out on the other side, time sped up so fast I can't even keep up with the, them flying by anymore. There's a song that always makes me think of Janelle and Diana every time I hear it. It's called Love Was My Alibi by Christopher Fogelmark. What a name, right? <laughs> and uh, this song, Love Was My Alibi, is featured in the 2014 movie The Water Diviner, directed by and starring Russell Crowe. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's worth seeing. The lyrics to the song Love Was My Alibi go like this. Time can be the enemy when you're locked in a world of pain. Days go floating by. It just doesn't change. It just stays the same. Love was my alibi for all the life lost. Now you've made love my reason 
you have made love my truth, and the sun shines in my heart. And I think every time I hear this song, my goodness, there is a person who has been through something like I went through. He just nailed it. Time can be the enemy when you're locked in a world of pain. Days do go floating by. It just doesn't change. It just stays the same. Wow. Whoever doesn't understand that on the deepest of levels simply has not suffered the deepest of heartbreaks possible to the human experience yet. Yet. To close, I thought I'd share a poem that I wrote. See if you can catch the elements in the following poem that you can only fully understand if you've heard the details of my experience with Janelle as I've shared them with you today. The Lie by me, Brian Barnett, 2017. And how faintly I recall you. Gloomy night, pines over lane, gray moonlight dripping through the clouds and fallen rain. Spilt words upon your glossy skin. Shared years come multiply. Wet vows of all the love within. Such humid, earnest lies. Space-time secrets soon revealed. Spry end to passions fast. Polaris in a cornfield. We'd found it at long last. Nova birth, hello, farewell. Each pulse a stellar breath. Intensity in the stairwells on our hike to sudden death. Love-making on a mountain, the constellations in your eyes. A permanent camp to rest herein, a cosmic spiral lies. So swear your heart eternal, beyond age of all's demise. Safe kept in time's sad journal, dust-covered, heartfelt lies. All lies. The Lie by Brian Barnett, 2017.